Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 27. This is a Lentil Express edition. Emma, how are you doing? Not too bad, Ben. How are you going? Good, thank you. So um, this is the penultimate episode for the year. Uh, We've got one more to come. It'll be a wrap-up edition with a, I was going to say a special guest, but a return guest, a special return guest. Um, So funny enough, I think we've been putting more prep into that (laughs) wrap-up episode than we have for for anything else. Um, Should be a good one. You're looking forward to that one too. Yeah, absolutely. It's been nice going back through all the um, interviews over the year and taking out little snippets. So hopefully everyone will tune in and enjoy that one. Absolutely. It's going to be um, basically a highlights package focusing on key outtakes, key messages, some themes. Um, and along with our guest who's coming back on the show, uh, potentially even answers some some questions that have come out of those episodes. So definitely one to look forward to. Now, just um, our episodes usually come out on a Monday, just like this one you're listening to now. Now, that last episode has actually been recorded on the Monday it would come out. So don't despair. Hang in there. We'll be a couple of days late with that last episode. Um, anyway, back to this one, Express Show. We've got three topics we're going to cover uh, calcium, exercise, and oats. And funny enough, they actually all have quite a bit in common. So, Emma, <laughs> let's kick off with topic number one. Okay. All right. So, um, late November, a paper came out that's been causing much to do. Um, and I was really trying to avoid it, really. Uh, but I've had a lot of questions about it. Um, So the latest study from the Epic Oxford um, cohort came out. It's called Vegetarian and Vegan Diets and Risk of Total and Site-Specific Fractures, results from the prospective cohort. Um, Now, basically, the aim was they were trying to work out if there were differences in fracture risks between plant-based eaters and omnivores. Um, Now, the Epic Oxford study, it's a really large cohort. Um, What they did here is they collected dietary data between 1993 and early 2000s and then they did a brief follow-up in around about 2010. Long story short, the conclusion from this paper was that the non-meat eaters, so the pescatarians, the vegetarians and the vegans had higher risk of fractures, particularly in the hip, um, but especially the vegans. Um, have you read this one, Ben? I have, and I've got it open in front of me again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's been, uh, you know, for those that have been interested, it, it hasn't been too difficult to find, um, I wouldn't call them rebuttals because they weren't all that, but there's been some respective sort of health professionals in the community that have uh, given their thoughts on this as well. Um, and it's also been sort of different messages coming from those as well. Yeah, there have been a few kind of mixed messages, um, even within the plant-based community. But this has um, gained a lot of traction online. We can probably thank Joe Rogan for that. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's this whole fear that, you know, when you go vegan, you're going to have really weak bones. You're going to break every bone in your body on top of our protein deficiency and, you know, our, our brains yeah. that aren't functioning properly. So it's really not looking good, is it? No, and, um, and we've kind of t- covered this a little bit in the sense in the past, past episodes that... Yep calcium 
is it should not be an issue just like protein shouldn't be an issue when on a whole foods plant-based diet good variety all that kind of stuff and and we've made references to good research with that as well that calcium intake is still adequate provided you're doing it the correct way so yeah it was interesting to see this paper yeah um so i'll just really briefly run through there were some issues with the study Mm -hmm. Um, so there were some stratification issues within the bmi and the calcium adjustments Um, if you're a statistics junkie i would actually recommend watching um, a youtube video done by dr abby bitterman on this he kind of does an in-depth discussion on some of the flaws it's really hard to actually explain this in the podcast medium because it helps a lot to see the visual Um, but basically the relative risk of fracture really starts to increase quite markedly once you get below um, a BMI of 22.5 and once calcium intake falls between around about 500 to 600 milligrams a day. Um, And the way that they've stratified and the fact that vegans back in the day were more likely to have a low BMI and a lower calcium intake than the meat eaters, the adjustments that they've chosen to do could potentially skew the data a little bit towards a significant finding, making the vegans potentially look worse than they actually were. Um, so if you're a statistics junkie, do check out that video. Um, but basically, um, the statistical significance in the fractures were only observed in the vegans that had the lower BMI. So there were actually no differences in those that had a healthy BMI above 22.5. There were a few other problems as well. So they didn't account for calcium supplement use. They didn't account for vitamin D, and we know that plays a really important part in bone health. They also didn't account for vitamin B12 either. Um, And a lot of people seem to forget this, but B12 is quite important for bones. And you've got to... Stop and think about this. The data was collected in the early 90s to the early 2000s. So the nutrition information, the resources that we have available to us now about how to do a vegan or a plant-based diet healthfully wasn't around back then in the same way it is now. We've come a long way in that regard. And we know from prior papers from the Epic Oxford cohort that the vegans did actually have lower B12 and vitamin D status and only about 50% of them were actually supplementing. So we could assume that the other 50% more than likely had inadequate intake if they were just relying off food. Um, So long story short, we shouldn't totally disregard the study findings. It is an important finding, but it's basically showing us that, yes, vegans can have an increased risk of fracture, but they don't have to if they're doing the mm. diet right. So we shouldn't be making these kind of blanket statements. Oh, look, I think I think it's two things. One, you know, you can have a deficiency in any mineral or vitamin. You know, if your diet is your diet selection is poor, and and we've also covered this. Exactly. How do you define a vegan diet? Is it just the uh, abstaining from animal-based products, or is it actually actively seeking a broad range of whole food plants, fruit, vegetables, legumes, grains, etc. And again, that'll determine the quality of your nutrient intake. So there's a lot of that. And then the flip side is that, you know, exercise, which we're going to get, it's not a segue just yet, but exercise plays a role <laughs> in, um, I guess, bone density and uh, I guess the, the risk of fractures and so on. So there's a lot of other factors which, I don't Absolutely. think this was adequately covered. Um, but like you say, it's a good reminder. It's good to have studies like this. It's good to make us question. It's good to make us dig a little bit deeper. 
um, there's always lessons to be learnt. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we shouldn't be blasé about bone health. In Australia, one out of um, two women over the age of 60 will actually develop an osteoporotic mm. fracture at some point. So we really do need to, you know, pay attention to this and pay attention to the findings. Um, but it's not hard to get adequate calcium, to get adequate vitamin D, to remember to take your B12 supplement um, and do that exercise. So we shouldn't be aiming for, you know, skinny. We should be aiming for strong. (laughs) But yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And um, vitamin D is something that uh, we're very much interested in as well. And uh, if all goes well in the new year, we'll have someone on the show that can uh, certainly deep dive um, with some real good data and, 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 you know, information on that as well. So it's something we do want to cover off in the near future as well. Absolutely. No, I was just going to say, I know that we've um, briefly covered bone health and diet before in the episode with Jaden. So if anyone kind of wants a little bit of a refresher on that, um, take a listen to that one. So, right. So that's calcium. Definitely uh, stick with your, I mean, what, you know, like exactly like you say, we've covered that. And if you stick with your, your leafy greens, which are a good source of calcium, and there's a lot of other good sources as well. So Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to make it too difficult. Usually I say aim for about five to six serves of calcium-rich plant foods each day. That equates to about three cups worth. And it can be, you know, a, a cup of leafy greens. It could be a cup of your calcium-fortified milk. It can be a cup of your tofu. Like it doesn't have to be mm. just all leafy greens or all tofu or all milk. Or it can be a variety of these things, but it's not that hard to do. And then with vitamin D, you know, if you're not getting adequate sunshine and you don't like your, your UV-fortified, mushrooms then potentially have a think about supplementing but in Australia um, especially in Queensland if you are getting adequate sunshine it probably won't be a big issue but you know if you're in the lower states or if you're in the bottom of New Zealand for example um, something to watch a little bit more closely. Like we said we we definitely want to cover this off as a as a more detailed topic which we will do so watch the space. Yeah. Right, so let's move on to exercise. Now, it's no secret, you know, you and I are both fans of being active, being outdoors, um, some form or other, some some a little bit more than others. <laughs> not quite as much as you. Oh, I'm looking for early <laughs> retirement. Um, however, the World Health Organization um, has just released the 2020 guidelines on physical activity and sedentary behavior. Now, this is a um, set of guidelines which are used as a, I guess, as a foundation for uh, national recommendations or, or, you know, sort of certain groups to, to, that's where they base their recommendations on how much exercise we should be undertaking. Um, So this has been updated. The last Mm -hmm. one was 2010, so um, 10 years ago, and Look, there's not a lot to um, there's not a lot of groundbreaking outtakes from this, but we'll just cover off uh, a little bit of a highlight of what this report, um, I guess, presented. So, firstly, it reaffirms the message that some physical activity is better than nothing, but also that more physical activity is preferred for optimal health. So, there's the minimum amount that we should be doing, but of course, if we strive for a little bit more it's even more beneficial. Um, They've also provided new recommendations on reducing sedentary behavior. So there's the flip side. It's a two-prong approach. It's great that you're being active, but if you're sitting on your bum for the rest of the day, then you're not really achieving 
the, the, the main purpose here. So it does cover that a little bit. Um, and they also, um, I guess a few other things, they, they also highlight the importance of undertaking both aerobic as well as muscle strengthening activities. So going for a walk, going for a bike ride, swimming is great, but you still need to incorporate some muscle strengthening activities and can be basic things like push-ups and pull-ups and things like that as well. Um, and they also... The other thing is they also break it down, the recommendations, into specific populations, which I think is really good. So rather than just being generic with mm. um, adolescents and, and, say, adults, they now also, including pregnant and postpartum women, um, those living with chronic conditions or disabilities, um, more elderly people, etc. So I think that's really, really good. So we'll just cover off two main groups. I guess it's more based on our listeners. But this whole report we will put up on our website. So it is uh, over 100 pages long, so definitely don't look at printing this, but um, it's there as a guideline. <laughs> we'll have it on our website, and, and you can refer to the, the more detail. But looking at children and adolescents, so that's a 5 to 17 years, the recommendation here is a minimum of 60 minutes a day. So every day, one hour, of moderate to vigorous intensity aerobic physical activity. That can be riding on your skateboard. That can be running around, playing hide-and-go-seek and catches, and yeah, just being active, kids being kids and running around. So mainly aerobic, but also vigorous intensity aerobic activities, um, as well as those that strengthen muscle and bone, should be incorporated at least three days of those week of, of that week. So um, it's not just the running around, but it's also, I guess, full development of their bodies, their their muscles, their, 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 you know, we've spoken about bone density. So that's important, load-bearing exercise, um, climbing things, mm. and so on. So it's important for kids to be active. As far as adults go, the recommendation here is, is that for all adults is a minimum of 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous intensity per week or combination of the two. So what that equates to is effectively, if you're looking to exercise every day, it's roughly between 20 to 45 minutes per day of moderate intensity, or that time can be reduced if it's more vigorous intensity. So we're talking about the high intensity interval-based training, the hit classes, your 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 you know your spin classes at gym, super high intensity or low, more moderate, high pace walking, jogging, swimming, etc. Um, and also they're adding two days of uh, on top of that, at least two days per week of muscle strengthening exercises. So again, at home you don't need to go to the gym for those, but you can be doing basic things like push ups and so on. So um, yeah, so there's all that plus additionally they're also making stronger recommendations of reducing sedentary behaviors across all age groups, across all abilities. Um, that is super important. So not being static, not being sitting down um, all the time. That's right. And smoking. Yeah, exactly. And um, look, I mean, we know the health benefits of physical activity. It goes across everything in terms of um, reducing, um, you know, I guess, risks of mortality, diseases, um, diabetes, and so on, uh, but also cognitive health, improvement of sleep quality, um, you know, anxiety, depression, and so on. Um, and even came across a paper very, uh, I think today or, or yesterday, um, may even cause a drop in visceral fat levels. So, 
you know, it's important mm. that you don't use exercise as a, as a sole means of weight loss because a lot to do with weight loss is what you eat. It's complementary. It's certainly important. But also weight loss, the number that you see on a scale can sometimes be misleading uh, because as you might That's lose right. some body fat, you might gain some muscle mass, which is important. And we go back to the conversation about bone density and, and so on. So, um, you know, visceral fat, it's what you don't see. And we actually had a very interesting conversation with this with uh, Portia in one of our very early episodes. Uh, the visceral fat, which is fat that's around your organs, um, that can be managed both through diet, but also through aerobic exercise. So there's a lot of what you don't see the benefits, but certainly from a health benefit, it's important to be moving. Uh, and there's the flip side is sitting too much has adverse effects. So look, the report's interesting. It's a good guide if you are if you work in a school environment or you work with elderly people or you know, and you want some basic guidelines to refer to. This is great. This is a good starting point. And they've got nice little summary pages as well. That would be good to show people. And I also really like that in the older population, they specified, um, you know, the functional balance mm. and strength training as well. Because if, you know, you've got better balance, you're less likely to fall over and break your hip. Oh, it's all too important. And look, uh, it's, it's a little side side note here. I've become a bit of a recent fan of Pilates even. Um because admittedly, whilst I do a lot of running at the moment, I do find myself sitting a lot as well. And um, the Pilates, which is very strength-based, is helping improve a lot of balance, you know, balancing the body out because one side can start compensating for the other. Mm. Um, and also, it's no secret, as we age, we do lose some muscle mass. So never mind building muscle strength mm. or muscle mass, but about maintaining is important. So... Yeah, strength training, always important, and you don't need a whole lot. You don't need to be paying ridiculous gym memberships or anything like that. Just basic body weight exercise is all you need as a starting point. So, yeah, that's exercise, the importance of that. And um, I guess our third little topic now, <laughs> yeah, little disclaimer. I was going to be all excited to talk about the benefits of oats um, in a paper that I came across a couple of months ago and then realized that we had actually covered that. So uh, for those of you who have... I'm wondering, hang on, remind me again what that was. So it was the, the paper that came out on the uh, a compound called avananthramide, which is found exclusively in oats. Um, and that compound was found to provide anti, both antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects um, for, well, the study here in particular uh, is 11 male, 13 male, uh, female subjects. So it is a small study, noted, uh, but they participated in a double-blinded randomized control study and um, the protocol, the downhill running protocol, is 10% grade with an intensity equivalent of 75% of the maximal heart rate. So that's powering down a steep hill. And it, the, the, the study indicated that chronic oat consumption, so this was through supplementation in this particular case, not only ameliorated plasma inflammatory response to exercise stress, but also mitigated muscle damage. Um, and on top of that, pain sensation was reduced. So pain sensation is basically how you feel, how are your legs feeling. So now we're going to the anecdotal component as well. So certainly a lot of benefits. As a result, people are saying, okay, how else can I eat my oats? Because we all know I'm a, we're all a big fan of having oats for breakfast. So there's a recipe that I'm happy to share. Um, it's my Oaties recipe. 
these are fantastic for uh, stuff stashing them in your in your pocket or your or your pack run pack when you're going out for long runs or just snacking through the day or, or post training um, on your way home. You're hungry. Do you stop over and get a cheeky vegan burger or do you? scoff a few of these down until you get home. <laughs> Have a note. <laughs> um, so I know some of you like to listen to podcasts while you're shopping. So right now, if you're in the grocery store, what you need to have, the basic ingredients, are whole grain rolled oats, some cinnamon, baking powder, the aluminium-free version. So make sure you, you, you look for that. A couple of bananas, ripe bananas pureed, some peanut butter, and vanilla extract. That's all you need. Now, the recipe, you'll see that it does call for a cup of, whole, of um, oat flour. I don't buy oat flour. I just take some of the whole grain rolled oats, shove them in the food processor, and whiz it up, and you've got your flour right there. And then I do like to add, it's in the recipe as well, some poppy seeds um, and blueberry powder as well, just Ooh, to fancy. boost that antioxidant uh, component. Um, you can put some cacao powder. I haven't actually tried that, so make it a bit more chocolatey. You can play with it. I mean, that's the whole point of recipe. So we'll put this in our newsletter. Now, those of you who have been to our website, there's the opportunity to sign up to our newsletter. We haven't done one yet, but we will over the next few weeks. So make sure you head over to our website, sign up for the newsletter, and this full recipe will be in that newsletter. So there we go. Um, that's our express app. Anything else to add, Em? Brilliant. So summary, eat your calcium-rich foods, enjoy your leafy greens, get some sunshine, do some exercise, eat your oats. And then eat your oats to recover from exercise and make <laughs> yeah. sure that you have your calcium-fortified plant-based milk to make your oats with. There we go. It's all interlinked. So uh, <laughs> there we have it. So we're looking forward to our final episode for the year, which will be next week. It's going to be an absolute doozy um, there's a lot to cover, outtakes, great summary. Um, looking forward to it, Emma. So, yeah, that's all there. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends.